This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Abortion is now illegal with very few exceptions in 12 states. But people across the U.S. are still choosing to have abortions. Many just have to travel hundreds of miles to get one. In 2021, before the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, it took a patient less than 30 minutes on average to get to an abortion clinic. Now it takes over an hour and a half on average. That's according to a 2022 study from the Journal of the American Medical Association. One of those places people are going is Kansas. States like Kansas, where abortion patients can still get the procedure, are referred to as safe haven states. But can the clinics in those states meet the increased demand for abortion care? After the break, we hear from an Oklahoma woman who traveled to Kansas for an abortion last year. Later, we speak with grassroots groups that arrange travel and help pay for people's abortions. We're bringing you this conversation from KMUW in Wichita, Kansas, as part of our Remaking America project. For this project, we've partnered with six stations around the country, including KMUW. Remaking America explores how the government is and isn't working for all of us. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to talk about. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Do you wish stories could unfold over three hours rather than three minutes? You tired of doom scrolling? Trying to find humanity? Or maybe a deeper understanding of why the world is the way it is? Listen to Embedded, NPR's original documentary series. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. We start things with a conversation with an Oklahoma woman who had to travel to Kansas for an abortion last year. I started by asking what the status of abortion access was in her home state when she found out she was pregnant. The night that I found out that I was pregnant, um, abortion was still legal as far as I was concerned in the state of Oklahoma. That very next morning, um, our governor passed the six-week abortion ban, which I did in fact qualify under during that time, but it was uh, beyond ironic, honestly. How, I mean, can you take me to, oh man, how you felt that that morning? Uh, it was an uh, absolute whirlwind of emotions. My husband and I at the time still weren't obviously 100% sure what we were going to do, considering we had just found out less than 24 hours ago. Um, it definitely kind of put, really made us feel like we were racing against a clock. And it was, uh, I mean, it was terrible, to be honest, but I had a wonderful support system to get me through it. Um, a couple family members, my husband, obviously, I am so 
eternally thankful that I was able to have him by my side throughout this entire process. But just uh, knowing that I had my friends on my side that were, you know, supportive of my decision, non-judgmental, reminded me that I wasn't a bad person for doing what I was doing really helped affirm my decision, our decision throughout that entire process, even though it really, truly felt like every single odd was against us. Why Why did you decide that having an abortion was the right choice? So that is honestly still kind of a question that I struggle to answer to this day. Um, I knew it wasn't the right time. I would love to have children with my husband one day, but being that we had just gotten married, um, our age, we just, we weren't ready. We weren't ready. We had a lot on our plate and I didn't feel like it was the time. Uh, he supported me in my decision. It was a very, very hard one to make. I mean, I think we went back and forth on, we went back and forth on that decision constantly, but I know at the end of the day, I sleep well, with the decision that we made. And I know we made the right choice. And eventually one day, you know, hopefully it will be the right time. You mentioned feeling like you were racing against a clock because your governor signed that six-week abortion ban. Once you'd made the decision, what steps did you take next? So since I I got very lucky, I think I found out at exactly four weeks and a few days. Um, I don't know how, call it like a intuition, but by the time we were considering, I still fell under the qualifications of that six week ban, but due to, I believe it was Texas recently passing their ban, we had a lot of people from Texas that were coming up to Oklahoma like a, you know, as a safe place to come and get their abortion. So there were no appointments. Um, There were, you know, doctors that were deciding that even though it was still technically legal for them to perform abortions, it was in the better judgment for them not to. And uh, we called a couple places in Kansas And I think the soonest they were able to get me in was still a good four weeks from then. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was like we felt like we were racing the clock because if we waited any longer, you know, it was just going to progress. And that's not what we wanted to do. This was a really difficult decision to make that we just we wanted to get through the process and try to get through and move on with our lives and heal from that. But it was really, really hard to, given the circumstances. What did you have to account for once you'd made the decision and realized, okay, I can't do this. I can't have the procedure in my home state. I've got to travel to another state to access this care. What did you have to plan for? What expenses did you have to account for while planning that travel to Kansas? I mean, it was um, a lot. We had to ask off for work. It was about a three to four day trip. Um, we woke up, I want to say Thursday morning at about 4 a.m. to get to Kansas by eight. I think the appointment was at 10. We stayed in, unfortunately, um, a hotel for the two nights, which, you know, I'm thankful we had the hotel to stay in, but it was a really, really strange an unfamiliar place to have to be in, which just added to an already traumatic experience. Um, I would say it easily, you know, the procedure itself was $800 and uh, we just got 
you know, a medical abortion, the two pills that are now under so much controversy. So, uh, I mean, it was, it was a lot. You had gas, you had the hotel, you have food, you have medicine, you have the actual appointment. I mean, it's, it was mind boggling. That's a lot to process while you were trying to access this this care. And it's been almost a year since that trip to Kansas. How how are you processing all of this today? I mean, I would be lying if I said that I still I I think about it every single day. I think about I mean, I think about obviously the what could have been. I think everybody that has to go through this procedure obviously always has those what if moments. I think that's very natural. But I mean, on top of that, I I've, I go to a lot of therapy, which thankfully helps me a lot, but I still struggle with it to this day. And then when I hear on the news that, you know, they're talking about banning the pills that mifepristone and and misoprostol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, whenever I was in Kansas, they asked if we would be, uh, staying there or going back home. And they said that it was best that we were staying there because if for some reason I needed to get a second round of, uh, mifepristone, they wouldn't, Oklahoma had every right to deny filling that at the pharmacy. Um, so if I was back home in Oklahoma, it's, I would have had to completely basically go through the process all over again. And who knows if I would have been able to get in at that point and what could have happened like medically too, like we could have been hurt. And, uh, that's a very scary thought that I still deal with. How do you think your experience might've been different? Maybe it wouldn't have been, but how, how do you think it might've been different if you'd had access to the care you needed at home in Oklahoma. Yeah. Before I had even found out that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to get an appointment in Oklahoma. I had looked at my husband and said, I don't want to go through this process in our home. I would rather we go somewhere private and do this process. Thinking about it now, I would have given anything to be able to have gone through that process in my home. That would have been, I think, Absolutely therapeutic to a very, very, like I said, traumatic situation. I think it still would have been very, very hard to get through. But just knowing that my friends are, you know, they're literally around the corner if I need some physical support. And to be honest, abortions are painful. Being able to fully, you know, scream when I was having my moments of pain and not having to muffle myself into a pillow for fear of other people in that hotel hearing it and security being called, um, that would have made a huge difference, honestly. There are probably people listening right now in states similar to yours who might be facing similar barriers to accessing an abortion. What would you say to them? I would tell them that it's your decision ultimately at the end of the day. And nobody can judge you for that. No person, no God, nobody. Nobody is allowed to judge you for that decision. Rely on your support system if you have them. I know I was very, very fortunate to have such a strong support system behind me. I mean, going into that clinic, 
there of course was a man outside screaming at all these females that were being escorted into the clinic. And I looked around and I mean, there were girls that were 10 years younger than me and they had to leave their phones at home and pick up a burner phone because their parents had tracking devices on their phones. And I mean, these are like 18, 19, 20 year old girls and they have no partner there with them. They have, they're, they're terrified. And I mean, just seeing that broke my heart and I so badly wish I could be there for all of those younger girls. But I mean, if you're in this place and you're having to make this decision, just know that it's your decision and whichever one that you make, it's going to be the right decision and, uh, you know, take care of yourself. Ultimately, you can't ignore yourself either because no matter what the situation is, it's a traumatic thing to have to go through and you should be allowed to mourn that loss and go through those feelings just like anybody else without being shamed or judged for it. Well, I hope, I hope you're taking care of yourself. And again, really, thank you for sharing your story with us. We appreciate you. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys uh, having me on and giving me a chance to kind of talk about it. It's a part of the healing process and it helps a lot. So I appreciate that. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics. With vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR. Let's get back to the conversation. In the years before Roe v. Wade made abortion a protected right in 1973, a group of Chicago women operated under the name Jane. Hello, this is Jane. Jane who? We're a service for women who are expecting. (sighs) Hello, this is Jane. I'm sorry. Everyone hangs up the first time. So how how does it work? That's a clip from the 2022 movie Call Jane. It's based on the real-life group that connected women to abortion care before it was legal. That legacy lives on through abortion funds and support groups that help people travel to and pay for abortions today. Today's conversation is part of 1A's Remaking America project, looking at how our democracy is and is not working for everyone. It's a partnership with six public radio stations, including KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. Joining us now in studio from Wichita, Kansas, is Rose Conlon. She's a health reporter for the Kansas News Service and KMUW. Rose, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. With us from Illinois is Allison Dreeth. She's the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Midwest Access Coalition. Allison, welcome. Hi, thanks. 
And also with us is Mike. He's the co-founder and director of Elevated Access, based out of Illinois. That's a group of pilots pilots who offer flights to patients seeking abortions or gender-affirming care. We're not using his last name because of the legal sensitivity of his work. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Rose, Kansas has become a so-called abortion safe haven state. How has the demand for abortion care in Kansas grown since Roe v. Wade was overturned? Yeah, so Kansas clinics are just really overwhelmed with this huge explosion of demand. You know, they're swamped with calls from people from out of state, and they can only see a small fraction of them. Um, Just to put this in perspective, one clinic here in Wichita gets thousands of calls each day. I think their record was 16,000 calls in one day recently, and they can only see around 500 patients each month. And that's after tripling their staff in the last year. And um, Planned Parenthood, the situation is largely the same. They can only see around 15% of the people that call. Where are abortion patients seeking care in Kansas traveling from? So there's lots of people from neighboring Oklahoma and Missouri, but you'll also, you know, see so many people coming from Texas, and that's because it's just such a big state. Um, Before Roe was overturned, there were over 50,000 abortions happening in Texas each year. And, you know, Kansas is the closest place to a lot of eastern Texas now that allows abortion. Allison, what support does the Midwest Access Coalition provide to people seeking abortions? Yeah, um, outside of... Funding the procedure itself, which we don't do, we um, help people traveling to, from, and within the Midwest to access care. And that can look like um, travel coordination and costs, lodging, food, child care, um, or extra money for incidentals or medication, whatever a client says they need um, to actually get to their appointment. Again, you're based in Illinois. What parts of the country are your clients coming from? So we um, are a regional abortion fund, um, and we operate in the Midwest. So that looks, you know, all the way east from Ohio to, you know, um, Kansas, uh, Nebraska, the Dakotas, and then, you know, as far south as Missouri, then going up north to um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. Um you know, before the end of Roe v. Wade in 2022, I would say we mostly supported Midwesterners. Um, but that started to shift when Texas's Senate Bill 8 went into effect. And then we continued to see this domino effect in Oklahoma and then with the Dobbs decision. Mike, you run the pilot organization Elevated Access. How did that start? Yeah, so really the roots of our organization are from an anti-racism workshop that my wife had suggested. Uh, I was going through that workshop, learning more about white uh, white privilege, white supremacy, systemic racism. And it was during that workshop that I came across the, the term reproductive justice, which is a term I had not heard before. But if you look at what a lot of barriers that people face, um, 75% of the people who get abortions are make less than 200% of the poverty level income. And if you think about that kind of situation or if somebody's in a violent household with domestic violence happening or or similar types of issues, getting an abortion isn't necessarily because they don't want a child. It could be that they don't want to bring a child into that environment or don't have the ability to care for a child in that environment. And that's what reproductive justice is, is seeking to create equal environments for people so they can decide to have a baby, not have a baby, etc. And 
I knew there had to be people out there helping people to travel to access abortion back in 2021. This was you know before the Dobbs decision. And knowing that in some states there might only be one clinic, I thought that pilots might be able to help. And I actually didn't want to just jump into offering out the idea that pilots could fly people to access abortion. I actually started to volunteer for Midwest Access Coalition doing IT security and privacy work, but also to learn from them how abortion access works and how pilots might be able to help transport people. How expensive are these flights for the pilots and for the clients? So all of our pilots are volunteers, and so they pay for all the expenses of the flight, everything from the plane rental to the fuel costs that might be they're definitely involved to any landing fees or other things like that. And so the the, the passengers pay pay nothing for that, and so it is all uh, provided from our, our pilots. Mm-hmm. As an example, for one of the flights that I've done from somewhere in the Deep South to Illinois – I estimated that it cost me about $1,000 to fly a couple from the Deep South to Illinois uh, of my own money, not from from our organization. Uh, because, again, even for myself, I'm still a volunteer for the organization when it comes to the flying part. And, and what kind of planes are you flying? Uh, typically, Cessnas and Pipers are what our pilots have, a little four-seat airplane that goes maybe around 150 miles an hour. Some of the faster ones might go around 200 Although we do have a handful of pilots that that uh, have been rather successful in life and and have business jet type aircraft that they can travel across the country in in hours, um, as opposed to for somebody like me with a much slower aircraft. If I were to fly from say Illinois to Colorado, I'd probably have to plan it as like a, a two day trip just in terms of the the workload and fatigue that would be involved. Allison, your clientele has now changed. You're seeing more clients coming from Texas, not just the Midwest. Where are you sending clients? Where are you connecting them with services? Really, we don't connect our clients with services. They come to us um, through a referral from the clinic. We want our clients to already have an appointment. And so they are finding those online through INeedAnA.com or AbortionFinder.com. But also the way they've scheduled their appointments has shifted too. Mm -hmm. Prior to row falling, clients would shop around for the cheapest procedure available because they're oftentimes low income. Now clients are looking, as you heard from your guest earlier, um, they're looking for the earliest appointment available. They're sure of their decision, no matter how hard or easy that was for them, and they want to get the process over with. And so I've even supported one um, Kansan who traveled all the way to Minnesota for their abortion because they could get in sooner and on their day off of work. And so when they come to your organization, they have the appointment set and then you are facilitating what for them exactly? Um, Transportation, lodging, money for food or childcare, medication, any incidental needs um, that might support them in their travel um, or otherwise be a barrier to their care. Rose, there are now six abortion clinics in Kansas. One opened in Wichita in January. What's unique about that clinic? Yeah, so this clinic is specifically geared towards out-of-state patients, and um, they are basically open mainly on the weekends because that's when out-of-state patients are most able to come. Um, They have been fundraising to help offset the costs for out-of-state patients because they know those people are already incurring travel costs. 
And um, they are run by a doctor from out of state, and they rely on entirely fly-in doctors from out of state. What happens to Kansans? who need to access abortion care since you've seen such an increased demand in the state from out of state. Yeah, there are definitely Kansans that are now having to go out of state to get an abortion, despite it being legal, just because they cannot get an appointment here. Allison, how has the demand for your services grown since Roe was overturned? It has already doubled. In 2021, we saw 800 clients. Um, In 2022, we supported 1,620 clients. And already this year, um, we're up about 50 clients per month than we saw in 2023. Um, So the demand just continues to grow. And there continues to be a lot of confusion and angst around people's procedures as um, new laws get introduced in state legislatures or as the court system works out other enjoined laws. Um, Our clients don't necessarily know what's happening in their own state. They just see something is happening with abortion in the headlines of the news. Um, And sometimes they're trusted loved ones, give them inaccurate information. And so it really becomes um, a furied mess of trying to find out, you know, the legality and access to abortion in this country right now. How have you had to expand to meet that growing demand? Um, In 2020, we were an all-volunteer-ran organization. Uh, That's when we first hired our executive director. Um, In 2021, we hired two additional staff, including myself, and now we're up to uh, nine staff members. And so we've really moved away from a volunteer-run organization to a staffed organization to be able to keep up with the demand. Mike, Elevated Access started with just three pilots. Now you have 1,200 volunteer pilots, including TikTok user Cheese Pilot. What it's like flying with Elevated Access. First, you're going to meet your pilot, which may happen to be me. We'll give you a little safety briefing, seatbelts, headsets. We'll show you where they plug in at to make sure that you can communicate with the pilot if you need to. And away we go. Mike, how did you enlist so many volunteer pilots? Well, really, it, it is due to the fortune of, of Cheese Pilot. Uh, it was just about a little bit over a year ago, a year ago last week, that I was looking at this problem of, of having just three pilots and the Dobbs opinion had just leaked. And I knew that we were going to need to scale much more quickly to try to meet the, the rising uh, need for travel support, as Allison was describing and so I reached out to a TikTok user who had been posting content that was progressive and liberal and had su- shown a lot of support. Um, actually, he had even made some content about the, the Dobbs leak and other things, and he was also an airline pilot. And so I said, hey, cheese pilot, uh, we really need more pilots to make this thing work. Um, I'm trying to stay a little bit private just for the safety purposes. Would you be willing to make some content? And so he put himself out there, and we both would have been excited if we had gotten five or six but at this point now, uh, by the time that the decision uh, was released in June, we had over 500 pilots that want to be part of our network, and we now have crossed over 1,200 that want to join our network. And all that is through social media, people uh, either being pilots themselves and seeing our content on social media or content about our work, 
or oftentimes we hear from pilots like, hey, my kid told me I need to sign up for this. I really believe in supporting people's ability to make decisions about their own bodies, whether it be for abortion or gender-affirming care. And so just our numbers have skyrocketed as pilots have, like me, were looking for something that they could do with this skill and resource that they have to help other people. And especially in a time like this, to be able to resist oppression in that way, it is really a big thing that they're able to do that. How do you screen the pilots who want to sign up with Elevated Access? So our pilots have kind of a two-pronged process, and it's very similar to one, the process that uh, organizations like Midwest Access Coalition use for, for their volunteers. So first we ask for, of course, their pilot credentials uh, so we can validate that their, their pilot's license is valid, that they have the, uh, at least the minimum experience that we require, um, all those kinds of things about their pilot side of their work. Um, and then the on the abortion and gender-affirming care side of things, we ask them for personal statements around abortion and gender-affirming care. We ask them for links to their social media so we can uh, validate that there's no content there that would make us question them. And then we also talk to two of their references um, that they provide that know about their support for abortion and gender-affirming care and, and do an interview with those people to really, we're looking for warm fuzzies about a pilot, ideally. And if we can't get quite to a warm fuzzy with a pilot, we'll ask them for more references that we can talk to and, and really tell them what we're trying to find out is that we're we're really looking for evidence from from other people that they have unconditional support for people's ability to decide to get an abortion or gender-affirming care. Rose, in 2019, the Kansas Supreme Court ruled that abortion rights are protected under the Kansas state constitution. Kansas voters affirmed that decision through a ballot measure last year. But the Kansas state house is controlled by a Republican supermajority. Briefly, how secure are abortion rights in this state? Yeah, so... This last legislative session, Republicans were able to enact two largely symbolic, pretty minor anti-abortion laws, Um, and they're also creating a state-funded anti-abortion counseling program that mirrors programs in other red states. Um, But generally, I think there's a lot of uncertainty about what restrictions they could enact in the future, you know, especially if the composition of the state Supreme Court changes and becomes less sympathetic to abortion rights. We've been speaking with Rose Conlon. She's a health reporter for the Kansas News Service and KMUW in Wichita. Rose, thank you. Thank you. When we come back, we discuss the legality of these services and how some states want to crack down on abortion seekers crossing state lines. We'll be back with more after this quick break. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation and who those accusations hurt the most on It's Been a Minute from NPR. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity, tells you there is more to uncover. How how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism immersive and intimate stories. I was stone cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. 
Now let's get back to abortion, safe haven states, and the people traveling to access reproductive care, like you and your loved ones. We got this message. Hi, I traveled with my daughter, who was 19 at the time, across state lines to obtain an abortion. We were lucky that we had the means to fly and stay in a hotel room. We were very emotional during the entire trip. Not so much about her abortion, because we knew it was the right thing for her, but we couldn't help but think of all the people in her situation that were unable to afford to travel from state to state to seek this health care. We also heard from Seth in Wisconsin, who writes, My wife and I decided we would not have children, and so with the political atmosphere right now, we thought it was best for me to get a vasectomy. It was a $400 procedure that was painless. This was best for my wife, so she would never have to be presented with a tough decision to have an abortion or suffer any backlash from the government. And let's bring in one more guest. Mary Ziegler is a law professor at the University of California, Davis. She wrote the book Roe, The History of a National Obsession. Mary, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. How are some states, Mary, targeting support groups or even friends and relatives of people traveling across state lines for abortion care? Well, at the moment, I think we're just beginning to see how states are going to target these actors. We've seen um, the beginnings of efforts to uh, regulate or chill travel between states. Um, Idaho just this year passed a law that prohibited taking minors to state lines for uh, trafficking, as Idaho put it, um, minors helping them travel for abortion and allowed for lawsuits against physicians who provided abortions for Idaho minors, even if those doctors were operating in other states. Uh, And we've seen um, threats to use criminal provisions on aiding or abetting, as well as sort of civil lawsuits for aiding or abetting against a whole variety of, of, of folks, whether that's uh, do- doctors, but also people helping others travel for abortion, um, helping others cover the costs of childcare, um, lodging, and the like. Uh, we've even seen Texas prosecutors uh, proposing a similar strategy. But I think this is really just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the strategies we're going to see. So we'll have to stay tuned. We got this uh, message from Martin in Tennessee who says, does Mike the pilot have any fears of being prosecuted in red states as someone who enables patients to access out-of-state abortions? Mike, how are you feeling about your exposure right now? Uh, It's certainly something that we monitor with every state in collaboration with our partners throughout the country that are providing practical support like Midwest Access Coalition, XSRJ, Access um, RJ in the southeast, uh, our southeast that is, um, and so what we do is we actually you know kind of towards that end try to limit the amount of information that we collect about the purpose of somebody's flight, and if you think about when when some when you get into an Uber, your driver's not asking you why you're going from A to B; they're just there to provide you transportation, and we try to provide that same level of support, and we support people that are traveling for to get care themselves. We also have flown uh, doctors and others kind of in this whole ecosystem around abortion. And so we don't uh, collect the purpose when we get a referral uh, from one of our partner organizations. We don't collect the purpose for somebody's trip. 
And then we also, when we talk to our pilots, uh, we refer to our partner organizations generically so they can infer what the purpose might be for somebody's travel. Um, because if you think about getting into a car or, or a plane or anything, you know, the purpose of your journey is really irrelevant. And I like to describe our work as being like going to the grocery store. You know, if you go to the grocery store, nobody is there to ask you who you are, uh, why you're there, why you're buying that, that whatever it might be that you're purchasing. And air, small airport travel is very similar is that there's no TSA for our flying. There's no ticketing. It's very private and confidential. And, and people ask you if you need help. But beyond that, they aren't really in your business to find out what the purpose is of your trip. Allison, what legal considerations are top of mind for your organization? You know, Mac really um, prides itself on um, taking a little bit of risk and allowing our staff to choose a level of risk for themselves, too. It's something I certainly think about because I'm on the Mississippi River. I am you know, could throw a rock and hit the state of Missouri if my arm was good enough. And so it's something I'm concerned about for my own safety when I have family in Missouri or I use the St. Louis airport to travel myself um, that a state like Missouri would come after me. But I also feel steadfast in my work and in my state and my husband and I moved back to Illinois on purpose so I could continue to do this work. And we're really grateful that the Illinois um, legislature this January passed a huge bill to address this um, potential issue in the future to further protect abortion providers and people like me who um, support abortion seekers and patients themselves. Mary, you said we we have to observe how this new legal landscape plays out. But how concerned should people like Mike and his pilots be about some of these laws that are currently on the books? Well, I think it's, it's, there's a huge legal gray area because this is not, we haven't really seen states pass laws that try to regulate what happens in other states in so long that there's a lot of legal uncertainty about how courts are going to weigh in on those laws. We do have a sense that some things are riskier than others. So for example, if you're a doctor in California mailing abortion pills to a patient in Alabama, that's legally riskier than being the same doctor in California who stays in California and performs an abortion on someone from out of state. Pilots are are kind of an interesting um, and complicated example because they're performing some acts in the states where abortion is a crime. Namely, if somebody is traveling from, say, Missouri to Illinois, some stuff that's happening in Missouri may be the basis for Missouri to say, hey, this is a crime taking place in our state. This is a conspiracy taking place in our state. Therefore, we want to assert jurisdiction. Whether they can do that, again, I think is complicated, right? Um, it's, it's in the gray area. And so I, I think that creates space for people who are are passionate about helping patients in these areas, but it does leave a lot of uncertainty about what kind of landscape we're looking at, especially given um, that some of our courts are very conservative and that that may color their ultimate judgment on these issues. How does this conversation intersect with privacy issues? Um, Mike was saying, you know, when you go to the grocery store, no one is asking you what you're what you're going to buy. Or when you get in an Uber or a Lyft, no one's asking, you know, why are you going to that location? So as you as you look at where this may be heading, what are those big privacy questions that are going to come up? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Mike is right that to actually detect any kind of reasonably large number of abortion seekers, states would have to do a lot of surveillance that would implicate, I think, both privacy concerns and just fiscal concerns, right? I think there's an interesting question for voters in red states about how much they're willing to pay and how much that would translate in terms of a tax burden for the kind of enhanced surveillance you would need to, to, to figure out whether people getting on that plane are going for uh, an, a reproductive care or you know whether someone getting the mail is getting abortion pills. That would require more surveillance. We've seen kind of a preview of how some of that surveillance might take place, given that a lot of us already have compromised online privacy. Uh, there's some sense that law enforcement agencies in red states may be interested in, in leveraging that data to do surveillance. But most of this remains hypothetical um, at this point, uh, because again, I think we're just beginning to see state strategies evolve um, and emerge on prosecution and surveillance. So we're still mostly talking about what states could do in terms of compromising privacy versus what they've already done. Texas has one of the most restrictive abortion bans in the country. Here's Ida in Southern Texas. I had a miscarriage after a couple of in vitro tries. And because Texas had just passed their law, my doctor couldn't give me a DNC, couldn't give me a pill. I aborted the fetus on my own, but it caused complications. I had some blood clots. Long story short, I ended up in the ER where I lost a lot of blood and ended up needing a blood transfusion. And so this is not something that was an abortion that I wanted or something that I wanted to terminate. But the fact that I, my body had suffered a miscarriage and the doctors couldn't treat me is the frustrating part about it. Thanks for that message. Mary, Texas lawmakers have passed laws allowing anyone who helps someone obtain an abortion in Texas or in another state to be sued. But in February, a U.S. district judge said, well, not so fast. What was this judge's ruling? Uh, The judge's ruling um, dealt with uh, some efforts by um, the attorney general uh, in the state um, who was seeking to apply laws extraterritorially. And thus far, the judge held that that, that there was no authority or that that might not be appropriate. Again, we're expecting this to to continue. Um, And this is just one of several efforts to allow for the extraterritorial application of laws. Um, Interestingly, I think um, the one, the area that anti-abortion groups have invested the most in is, is related to another Uh, Texas initiative, um, one that allows private citizens to sue. And I think, again, there's there's a feeling that constitutional issues, choice of law issues that would come up in this context may be harder to litigate if it's a private citizen doing the suing. It may be harder to get that case even into federal court in the first place. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see, I think, both of these strategies continuing. Yeah. Mike, briefly, what legal protections do you have in place for the pilot to work with your organization? Well, we, we, we commit to our pilots. So we're never going to ask them to do something that we know to be illegal. If something is definitely more in a gray area, we'll inform them so they can make their own sort of risk assessment about whether they want to participate in that or not. And then we've also give, give them um, resources and have resources ready to go if they were to get stopped by you know a sheriff's deputy or an attorney general were to come after them or, or things of that nature. Just making a commitment to them that we're not going to leave them hang out to dry uh, because a 
even an overzealous um, district attorney decided to try to take some obscure law to come after that pilot. And so we're just there to support them. And, and what are the major considerations for you, Mike, as as you continue providing support in this legal gray area? You know, we it is definitely a complex thing, but, you know, there's a lot of you know, a lot of the laws have been passed, like the, the stuff that was being discussed in Texas or even the Idaho law are really just there to make people afraid of getting care or thinking that the kind of care that they need is illegal. Uh, even the in the Idaho case, like Mary mentioned, it is the law is even more specific than helping minors get out of Iowa or Idaho for abortion. It's actually getting minors out of Idaho without parental consent, which is an even narrower subset. Uh, but people often don't get that far in the headline, and so they stop reading and think that the care they need might be illegal. That's Mike with the pilot group Elevated Access. That's a group of more than 1,200 pilots who fly people to abortion clinics across the nation. Also with us, Allison Dreeth. She's with the Midwest Access Coalition. And Mary Ziegler is a law professor at the University of California, Davis. She's also the author of Roe, The History of a National Obsession. Thanks to you all. The show was part of 1A's Remaking America collaboration with six partner stations around the country, including KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. Remaking America is funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today's show was produced by June Leffler and Amanda Williams, who leads our Remaking America project. Our thanks to KMUW for hosting us this week, and special thanks to Mark Statzer, Torin Anderson, and Jonathan Huber for engineering support for our broadcasts from Kansas. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Spark Cash Plus card, you earn unlimited 2% cash back on every purchase for your business. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Spark Cash Plus. Terms and conditions apply. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. Uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.